Good morning, everybody. Welcome into To The Point. We're all doing well. It is the first day of December. November's over, if you can believe it. Only 25 days until Christmas. Crazy. Crazy. And the world of sports is slowing down and heating up at the same time. College football heads into its last proper weekend, if you will, before we get to bowl games and things of that nature, which will fill the calendar. But that's happening. we got the in-season tournament in the NBA. we got the NHL ongoing rumors about Shohei Otani possibly joining the Toronto Blue Jays, which I thought there was a 0% chance of it happening. Now it sounds like it actually might happen. So who knows what's happening. What I can tell you is today, we're going to get into a whole bunch of different stuff. We're going to recap Thursday Night Football, which was a good primetime game for the first time in a minute. Seeing Dallas edge out the Seattle Seahawks, a great game by both quarterbacks. But Dak Prescott looks like, to me, he's played the best. He's played the best quarterback in the, you know the best at the position since about week six, and he continues to just play fantastic, scoring red zone. He was awesome last night. Recap that game. We're going to talk about the lines in the games this weekend. Things I like, things I don't like in those games. Injury reports, things of that nature. We'll talk about the college football championship games, Oregon and Washington tonight, the best out of the championship games, if you ask me, in the finale of the Pac-12. There's also Georgia and Alabama. So there's there's a lot to like this weekend in the world of sports, NHL, of course. And that's where we're going to start today. Because last night, it was a busy night in the National Hockey League. Many headlines. Mitch Marner gets a hat trick and scores the gimmick winner. Tom Wilson gets his first career hat trick in a late game in Anaheim. The Vegas Golden Knights outclass the Vancouver Canucks. Third game in four nights, and they play really good hockey. Uh, Tristan Jarry. A goalie goal in Tampa Bay. And the bigger story might be that Tampa Bay can't win any games and they blow leads faster than the Toronto Maple Leafs. What else? Calgary. They beat Dallas. Edmonton pulls off a comeback against Winnipeg. Winnipeg throws away three points. So lots happened last night. I want to start by talking about a trade that was quiet. A trade that kind of went under the radar. Nikita Zadorov, about three weeks ago, requested a trade from the Calgary Flames. No longer wanted to be there. Didn't see, didn't like his role. Pending unrestricted free agent. And told the team he wanted out. Craig Conroy said they weren't going to do anything Rash, they weren't going to make a stupid deal, and they do it when it came together. Well, Thursday night, just before puck drops, the Flames announced that they traded Nikita Zadorov to their in-division rival, 
the Vancouver Canucks for a 2024 fifth round pick and a 2026 third rounder. They did not retain any salary for Zadorov, so he goes to Vancouver. And Vancouver gets an upgrade on defense. Hironic, Quinn Hughes have been fantastic, but with Carson Soucy being out for the next couple months, them not having great depth on the back end, they saw Zadorov as a fit. He's a big defenseman, and they bring him in. First of all, I love that Vancouver did it. I think this is Patrick Alvin being smart, getting ahead of it. And Zadorov's not a savior. He's somewhere between a fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth, or sixth defenseman. But he's big, he's physical, and I think he knows what he's not, which is smart. And that's just that's such a benefit when you're talking about a player that plays at the bottom of the lineup. I expected the return to be more for Nikita Zadorov. I'm not saying a first-round pick, but a 2024 fifth and a 2026 third doesn't exactly scream a boatload of stuff. Calgary gets a fifth-round pick in this year's draft. Great. A 2026 third-rounder. Again, that could be a good pick, but it's years down the line, so it doesn't help the team that they currently have. So while Calgary beat Dallas last night for the second time in a week, oddly enough, and Kadri gets the overtime winner, and Huberto's playing better, and they're currently in a playoff position, I, st- I have more questions. Darren Drager tweeted out it frees them up to get cap space. So are they going to be aggressive at a trade deadline and just bring in a new player for Zadorov, just a player that has term, and use use these draft picks to help them make that move happen? Where does this leave Noah Hannafin, who reportedly have had a trade on the table worth over $7 million per season, but decided not to go through with it with their poor start to the season? To me, if you trust it in the team, regardless of Zadorov asking for a trade or not, that doesn't mean you have to move them. There have been players that requested trades, and you play out the season with the team because that's just the way it goes. Calgary's in a weird spot where Craig Conroy was an assistant general manager on this team with Brad Treleving. He could have liked every move that Treeling did. He might have hated every one of them. We don't know because he wasn't the man in charge. He now has the reins. He is now has the keys to the car, and he, he can do what he wants. He can build the team that he wants to build, but he's also going to look around and go, Kadri isn't being moved. Huberto isn't going anywhere. It's unlikely you'll trade Markstrom because he's – Goalie deals are so hard to pull off with the salary, and teams don't want to pay them that type of money. So what do you do? The Western Conference is so up in the air. We've talked about this. 
it's going to take some time for teams to realize who they are. The Edmonton Oilers are on a hot streak. They're playing much better hockey. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl look confident again, look happy to be in the rink. They're getting wins. They're playing a good style of hockey. And that's a positive for them. However, they could fall off the map quickly. They fired their coach. Minnesota fires a coach. They're all of a sudden playing really good hockey. They've won their first two games. They Connor DeWar had a hat trick last night. You probably never heard of him. You look St. Louis again, St. Louis, Arizona in wildcard positions. Calgary, right there. Nashville, Seattle. All these teams have played more games than the Edmonton Oilers. Minnesota only a game back of the Oilers in the standings with a game in hand. So they can make up ground. At their best, the Edmonton Oilers are a better team than the Calgary Flames. At their best, I think the Minnesota Wild are a better team than the Calgary Flames. So I think this is a deal that it doesn't signal tank. It doesn't signal we're not going to try. But trading a player that's important in your own division to Vancouver, who has had a great start to the season, clearly view themselves as a threat in the Western Conference. I think they look at themselves and go, we want to be a playoff team and see what happens. They knew they had to improve their defense. But I think they look and go, we got Brock Besser, who's currently leading the NHL in goals. Quinn Hughes, who's top five in points. Elias Pettersson, who's one of the best centers overall in the league. Let's go get a defense that can plug and play and be ready to go. And for Calgary to ship him in division to Vancouver kind of tells me, one, we're not that worried about the player, but two, we we needed to get something for him. This return's no good. It's junk. Vancouver is one of two teams that really need a defenseman right now. And oddly enough, both teams are in Canada. It's Vancouver and the Toronto Maple Leafs. If I'm a Leafs fan, I'm disappointed in my general manager because I look at what the Leafs or what Vancouver gave up and I go, we couldn't have done that? I'm sure Calgary would have preferred to trade Zadorov to Toronto out of the division, out of conference. Calgary plays Vancouver tomorrow night. Zadorov in all likelihood will make his Vancouver debut against his old team. Which is interesting. But Toronto with Giordano who's out week to week with a broken finger and Lilligren who's injured and they have one other guy who's missing time currently. They have Timmins playing minutes. They just don't have a whole lot of players available. Klingberg, pardon me. They're playing Lagason, Benoit, guys who are quite frankly American Hockey League defensemen. 
And they're winning games currently, but they give up leads seemingly every night. And almost every one of their games goes to overtime or the gimmick, which is fine. But there's something to be said for winning in regulation. There's something to be said about holding on to a lead, having a guy who can play in those minutes, not having to play Morgan Riley 30-plus minutes a night. Because quite frankly, it's not sustainable. And it's not going to work. The guy's going to wear out. These trades are hard to pull off in November, in, in October, December, because teams haven't quit on their season yet. The floodgates have not opened. Teams haven't waved the white flag. Calgary was just saying, we'll trade this player. And Vancouver scoops him up. He isn't a blue chip prospect. He isn't one of the best defensemen in the league, but he would have helped their team. Is he better than Lagesson or Benoit? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Because I, I think at times during his tenure with the Calgary Flames, he was their best defenseman. Because he has offensive upside. He's got the physicality. He's got the size, the speed. And he's a mean son of a bitch. Which the least could use a bit of. Because they're a nice group of guys, as we've talked about. But Patrick Alvin was quicker to pull it off than Brad Tree Living. I don't know if there's the relationship, Conroy Tree Living. If you don't want to trade with your former GM, I don't think it matters. You just want the best deal for your franchise. I don't think it's a great deal in return for Zadorov from uh, the Flames. I think it's garbage. That 2026 third rounder could turn into something. 2026 is not walking through that door anytime soon. A lot of seasons left before 2026. And I'm really looking forward to hearing that 2024 fifth rounder, whoever it might be. Can't wait to hear his name called at the draft, but I mean, come on. Credit to Vancouver for being able to pull this off and improve your team as we enter December. Kudos to you. Now for the Maple Leafs. You don't get Zadorov. Tenev is still in Calgary. His name will still be floated around. But they're not going to punt on the season in December. I don't think they're trading Tanev tomorrow. So with that being said, are you just going to keep going through the motions with these defense? The argument is, well, we're winning games, which they are. Sometimes it's not just, okay, we won this game. We, we don't have any. When you win a game, it's like you do anything in life. You can you could get through something and you do it the completely wrong way, but it works out for you. And when you do something correctly, you never look back on it and say, how could I have done this better? In sports, watching the game tape, well, I'm not going to watch the game tape of a game we won because we won. It's when you lose when you start to make corrections. But oftentimes, you can start to make corrections earlier on. Even when you're winning, 
to help you succeed down the line. So who could they target? The Anaheim Ducks, who had a great start, earned a tailspin. They are completely upended. They are struggling. They got some injuries. I look at a guy like Ilya Labushkin. Could he be a, a fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Not a guy that's going to jump off the charts. Not a guy that's going to get any points. It's physical. Plays defensive-minded hockey. Could he come over? I would prefer Zadorov, but again, I'm just looking at teams. Chicago. Not a team that has a whole lot of veteran D. Connor Murphy could be a trade target. But again, he's a lot like Labushkin. You could argue a worse version. There's always San Jose. I mentioned a guy like Mario Ferraro, who is not a well-known player. But I think he's actually pretty good. He's got his warts. Plays on the worst team in hockey. Look at his plus-minus. He's minus 21 on the season. But that's skewed. And again, plus minus is a worthless stat that nobody should look at. So who gives a shit? There's not a whole lot of options. Unless a team goes into another tailspin. I don't think it's happening. Columbus is not punting. You know, these, these situations have to develop over time. No team is bad enough in the Easter Conference where they're going, we're going to give up. When you look at the Metro, the team in second and the team in seventh are separated by five points. Sorry, four points. That's crazy. The Washington Capitals are ahead of Carolina and the Islanders and the Devils right now, and they played fewer games. And Alex Ovechkin's off to the worst start of his career, which is the crazy thing. And Darcy Kemper's missed a lot of time, and Charlie Lindgren is getting starts. One of two teams were going to get Zadorov at this time of year, and, and Vancouver was able to pull it off. Kudos to them. This was a miss for Brad Chileving, in my mind. I think he'll regret not pulling the trigger on the move. Other NHL news, Corey Perry released a statement yesterday apologizing for his actions with the Chicago Blackhawks, saying that he's been struggling with alcohol. Didn't sound like he got into it with the players, with the staff members. Something occurred, and that's when they decided to terminate his contract. He's going to be getting help from professionals, which sounds like, you know, a rehab stint. And that he took full responsibility for what happened. So it does clear up some of the confusion. He's now a free agent. 
I thought this yesterday. I don't think he'll play for the month of December. Go through December, you get through Christmas, New Year's. Corey Perry can kind of fly under the radar. When we get to the new year, if he does go to rehab, he does see professionals, whatever he decides to do, I think he's playing again this year. He admitted to having a mistake. You know, having a fault and trying to improve it. If he can go, clean himself up a bit, come back, join a team on a stretch run, try to win a Stanley Cup. That's what I think he'll do. Corey Perry deserves that chance. Again, like I said on Wednesday, one bad decision, one moment should not define your life. He clearly made a mistake here. He's owning up to it. But to me, if he can battle through this, you go get the help, and he can come out the other side and go, you know what? I learned from this. I need to be better. I need to be more professional. I think that's great. I think that's an awesome step for Corey Perry. We saw Sam Gerrard for the Colorado Avalanche last weekend came out and said he's going into the player assistance program because he's been struggling with depression and he used alcohol to to kind of mask it. He needed help. So he's currently away from the Avalanche dealing with, with that. Shit happens. Life's tough and we all go through our, our battles at certain times. Corey Perry is going to be a Hall of Famer. He's had a great career. He's played in four Stanley Cup Finals. He's going to get another chance. Go get better. Deal with the situation. And we'll see you come back. Patrick Kane hasn't played yet. Black uh, uh, The Red Wings beat the, his former team, the Blackhawks, last night. Sounds like he might make his debut next week in Buffalo, in his hometown, which would be cool. So he's still uh, waiting, waiting around. Florida gets another win last night as they dump Montreal. Devils win in overtime. As I mentioned, the Oilers, big win. Wild, big win. Coyotes beat the Avalanche in overtime. Golden Knights beat up on the Avalanche. Jack Eichel, three points in his 500th career game. Tonight, only two games in the NHL. Sharks, Devils, Senators, Blue Jackets. Senators, Blue Jackets is interesting to me because of the auto angle. Thomas Shabbat's returning from injury. He'll be in the lineup tonight. Ottawa, brutal loss on Monday. To Florida, an embarrassing one. They need to come out ready to play from puck drop. As I talked about, Ottawa in Columbus, then they have to fly home and play the Kraken, who will be waiting for them. They need to win both games this weekend. They need the four points. And if it doesn't go well, on Sunday, Monday, it would not stay. Shock me if DJ Smith is relieved of his duties. 
I'm not hoping that happens, but the way the season has started, you're playing two two teams that quite frankly aren't very good. You should get four points. So that's what I'm looking at for Ottawa this weekend. Other games, Lightning in Dallas. Blackhawks in Winnipeg, you got Bruins, Maple Leafs, Saturday night, which is always fun. Uh, Buffalo and Carolina, Flyers, Penguins, Capitals, Golden Knights, rematch of the 2018 Stanley Cup Final, and Vancouver and Calgary. As I mentioned, Zadorov could be making his Canucks debut in Calgary against his former team. And I hope that happens. Makes the game more interesting, for sure. It's a lot of unknown right now of who's any good. St. Louis find ways to win games. Flyers stay in the mix. They battle with John Tortorella. Detroit, I think, is pretty good. Competitive team. Islanders get a win last night. Panthers are playing good hockey. Rangers are obviously playing good hockey. Still a lot to be said, but it should be an interesting NHL weekend. Last night we got a gem in the NHL. Dallas Cowboys edging out the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith, Dak Prescott both played phenomenal. And I think you can define the game with great throws down the field and horrible officiating. Multiple pass interference calls that weren't pass interference. The big one was in the fourth quarter where they called one on Tariq Woolen, who was covering C.D. Lamb. It was not pass interference, but they called it. But from, from the start, it was a shootout. First drive of the game, Dallas field goal. Three-play drive for the Seahawks. Geno Smith hits DK Metcalf on a slant. He takes it 70 yards for a touchdown. Dallas gets the ball back. They drive the ball down the field. Dak Prescott strike to CeeDee Lamb. Touchdown. Through the entire game, you saw both defenses being able to get to the quarterback. Dak got sacked four times, which was more. He got sacked zero times in the past three games. Sacked four times last night. Geno Smith was under pressure, including from Micah Parsons, who had the biggest play in the last play of the game. The big thing for me is Dallas won a game that they very easily could have lost. You're in it. You're battling your way through. You're winning time of possession. You're getting big plays, and, you know, Seattle misses a field goal. Geno Smith throws an interception, and yet Seattle stays alive. Seattle keeps finding their way back in. They're scoring big touchdowns. They're throwing the ball down the field, playing aggressive. And Dak said, no, we should win this game. We're going to win this game. I'm going to make big throws to CeeDee Lamb. I'm going to find Brandon Cooks, who's starting to come on. Jake Ferguson, 
who's a dog, who's got that bite about him, not taking any shit. I'm going to throw in the ball matched up against Jamal Adams. No problem. All day, every day. This year, the best quarterback in the NFL has been Dak Prescott. In totality, he's been the best in the league. Coming off a season last year where he led the league in picks after missing five games with his injury, he has answered every test. 29 for 41, 299, three touchdowns last night. Also seven rushes for 23 yards. Dallas was supposed to be built on the run game, and they did run the ball over 33 times last night. But it's about the pass game. C.D. Lamb and Dak Prescott's connection. Jake Ferguson is up until Brandon Cooks starting to emerge. But it's, it's the way this offense is playing. Mike McCarthy is calling a great game, getting people open, putting C.D. Lamb in great position. But Dak Prescott, 26 touchdowns, six interceptions on the season, only one fumble, which he did not lose. So he's not turning the ball over. He's averaging eight yards a throw. 3,200 yards, completing 70% of his passes, 108.3 quarterback rating in 12 starts. And they're 9-3. and three, Which 9-3 and three looks a hell of a lot better if they weren't in the NFC East or they have to deal with the Philadelphia Eagles in a game that they should have won, but they didn't. And they'll get their chance to redeem themselves next weekend, Sunday Night Football, when they host the Eagles. They aren't perfect. Deron Bland, who's replacing Trayvon Diggs, got torched last night. DK Metcalf gave him the business. Jackson Smith and Jigba gave him the business. Lockett at times. But I'll give him credit. He kept getting targeted and he got a huge interception in the third quarter. He didn't wear it. He didn't start to feel bad about himself. He kept playing the game, kept playing the snaps, and he made a big play. And exposes a weakness on the Cowboys. But to be fair, Trayvon Diggs is a lot like Deron Bland. They both love getting interceptions. Trayvon Diggs in his rookie season led the NFL in interceptions. Deron Bland is leading the NFL in interceptions this year. So it's a give and take process. You see the pass rush. You see the guys. This team can be a threat in the NFC. They can get to the Super Bowl. I truly believe that. If Dak Prescott's playing the way he's been playing going into the playoffs. They can beat anybody. But to me, he's firmly in the conversation for league MVP. It's a quarterback award for better, for worse. Oftentimes, I think for worse, because I just think it's lazy. But the way he's playing at this level He's in it because Mahomes hasn't been as consistent. Hertz is the leading vote-getter, but I think it's more because he's on the best team. Josh Allen, it continues to be, I don't get it, why he's still up there. 
So Dak, yeah. That's why I don't think the Brock Purdy conversation is crazy either. Either because if Brock Purdy goes out there and balls out against the Eagles this week, why not? I mean, you go out there and play an awesome game against a team with one loss. That's impressive. That's hard to do in the game of the weekend. Seattle has their flaws, but uh, sorry, Dallas has their flaws, but so does everybody. No team is perfect, and they their quarterback is confident. He trusts the play calling. They're a dynamic offense. CD Lamb is being used. He's second in the NFL in receiving yards. Behind only Tyreek Hill. He's as dynamic as anybody. He's filing being used fully to his potential. Where he's not just a slot receiver, he's not just an outside receiver, he can do everything. And credit to Mike McCarthy, who took over for Kellen Moore. This offense is better than the offense that was running under Kellen Moore last year. More creative, more dynamic, running game, more opportunities for big splash plays. That's Mike McCarthy. I can criticize his clock management. I can criticize some of the decisions that he makes. But he's winning games this year. They are still in the hunt to win their division. They still are in the hunt to be the number one seed in the NFC. And they get some tough games down the stretch, no doubt about it. Next three, next four weeks, home to the Eagles, at the Bills, at the Dolphins on Christmas Eve, and host the Lions. That's there's no gimmies there. No easy game. But it doesn't mean they can't win them. They're as talented as any of those teams. And with Dak playing this way. You should be confident against anybody. Period. Looking at Seattle, fourth quarter, seven minutes to play, fourth and one. They just threw a pass, a screen pass to Jake Bobo. He goes for nine yards, and they go for it at midfield on fourth and one. And Zach Charbonnet's tackled for a loss. I didn't like the play call because Dallas's D-line is so big. Seattle was getting yardage on that drive through screen passes. They did it to Njigba the last time. They did it to Bobo. I wanted just a quarterback sneak from Geno Smith, who's one of the bigger quarterbacks in the league. He's a big, strong man. To me, that's the play. Ultimately, they don't do that. And Dallas gets a stop. Dallas gets a ball back. They go down the field, and Jake Ferguson scores to go-ahead touchdown. But Seattle didn't lead in time possession. They did not win the turnover battle. They did not win total yards. They missed the field goal. And also, they went 0-3 for 3 on fourth down. Oh, and by the way, on the last play of the game, on a fourth and two, another fourth and short, 
They didn't understand that they should have blocked Micah Parsons, who's the best pass rusher on the Dallas Cowboys. He had a free lane to the quarterback, and Geno Smith could do nothing but throw the ball at the ground. Game over. No timeouts left. The biggest celebration there is if you took the Seahawks plus nine and a half. Then you get the cover, which I did not think the Seahawks were going to cover less than, let me tell you. I didn't bet it because I don't bet favorites. But if if I had to make a pick before the game, it would have been Dallas minus 9.5. Kudos to Seattle and Geno Smith. But situationally, they were shit. They're now 6-6. Six and six. In the NFC, that's full of bad teams. And they're becoming a bad team. I like Geno, Pete Carroll, great guy, good coach. I love DK, uh, love DK Metcalf. He's special. But six and six is six and six. They're now in a battle with the Vikings. Get a look at Green Bay. And it doesn't get a whole lot easier for Seattle. They go to San Francisco next week. Fun. They then have they then uh, host the Eagles on Monday Night Football at Tennessee. Easier game. Host the Steelers and finish. Wrap up their season against the Cardinals. So last three games winnable. Their next two, they will not be favored. Could they get in at nine and eight? Potentially, but you gotta beat the Steelers in that game. You gotta you gotta win out. Every team's alive in the NFC, almost. Giants are still in the hunt, for Christ's sake. Bucks at four and seven, still not Saints. You could have two NFC South teams make the playoffs somehow. Green Bay, who look dead to rights, are back in the mix. Huge game this weekend. They find a way to win it. They could be in the postseason. So while I think Seattle has more talent than a lot of these teams, certainly more than, say, a team like Atlanta, or even a team like Green Bay, and I think Geno Smith's better at quarterback it just might not work out. Those two losses to the Rams might come back to haunt them. Geno Smith played his heart out. And he played like he knew he had to win that game. Like his, his time with Seattle could be coming to a close if they don't make the playoffs this year, if you don't see improvement. He did everything he could. DK Metcalf had three touchdowns. He was a beast. Tyler Lockett dropped an easy first down. Would have been a huge play. That's when you go back on tape and look at it and go, my God, how did I not catch that ball? But it happens. Tough loss for Seattle. I did not expect them to play that well. But ultimately, Dallas gets the win. And now they get 10 days 
to prepare for their division rival next Sunday night. Before we get to next Sunday night, we got games this weekend in the NFL. Two o'clock slate, we got the Arizona Cardinals visiting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yesterday, Arizona released Zach Ertz, former Super Bowl champion tight end with the Philadelphia Eagles. He wanted an opportunity to play for a contender, was not getting the snaps he wanted in Arizona. I think he could be going back to the Eagles, potentially. There's still Shaq Leonard, who's available. He's going to decide between the Cowboys and the Eagles on where he wants to play the rest of the season. Sounds like that decision will be made this weekend. So a couple of veterans on the market looking for new homes. Arizona, they've kind of found their spot. Kyler Murray's come back. He's played some decent football. But they're not winning games. They're not an overly talented team. Hollywood Brown has not practiced this week, so he might not play. Trey McBride, their tight end, may not play this weekend. Pittsburgh just had a 400-yard offensive game. Kenny Pickett loves to throw that football down the seam to, to George Pickens. It can happen. Pittsburgh doesn't score, which scares you. But their defense is fantastic. T.J. Watt's as good as it gets in the NFL when it comes to a defensive player. The play here, Pittsburgh at home. They have the momentum. The new coach, new offensive bump against a really bad Arizona team. Give me Pittsburgh minus five and a half. Atlanta Falcons at the New York Jets. Five and six Falcons who are leading the NFC South. The best thing they do is run the football. Bijan Robinson's as talented a running back as there is in the league. Desmond Ritter has a whole lot of flaws. I don't love the way he plays football, quite frankly. But I love Bijan. I like Cordero Patterson. I like that they're using Bijan in the red zone. What I can tell you is I hate the Jets. Makai Becton sounds like he's out, their left tackle. George Fant might be out, their right tackle. Tim Boyle is back under center. Problems. Aaron Rodgers is at practice, but he's not playing yet. This offense is ranked 30th in the NFL, averaging only 14 points per game this season. The Falcons aren't a good team, but the Jets are worse. I don't see the Jets covering the number at home. Falcons will get the 500. Falcons minus two and a half. Big game. Red hot Denver Broncos at the Houston Texans. Six and five Broncos, six and five Texans. Texans coming off a loss to the Jags. Broncos coming off a victory over the wounded Cleveland Browns. Here's the thing. We learned this week Houston lost their offensive tackle, Titus Howard. He's done for the season with a knee injury. That's a big loss to their offensive line because C.J. Stroud was under duress all of last week. 
Houston does a good job at covering the run. They did a good job on ETN. The Broncos run the football and then use Russell Wilson off the run game to create. I love C.J. Stroud. We've been over this. I think he's so talented. Tank Dell, him, the connection he has with him, his big arm, he can do anything he wants on the football field. This is a huge game. If the Texas Texans win this game according to NFL stats and info, they will have a 77% chance of making the playoffs based on their remaining schedule and the way things are progressing. With a loss, it drops down to less than 50%. Broncos, it's like 68% chance with a win, 28% with a loss. So this has huge stakes. The Texans are a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. The Broncos' defense is playing a whole lot better. Josie Jewell, Alex Singleton, they're tackling better. They're making better plays. To me, the Broncos are just riding this wave of momentum. They're feeling themselves. They're feeling good. All positive vibes in that locker room. Offense is clicking. Defense is clicking. Well, I think Houston's a good team. They were just you know picking second and third in the draft, and they've gotten this good this fast, which is an incredible feat. But the Broncos, to me, are just a little bit better overall as a team right here, right now. I worry about that offensive line. I love C.J. Stroud, and Houston will be a good team because they have him. And they still might have a chance to make the playoffs this year. But I think the Broncos are going to go into Houston and win that game. I like the Broncos plus three and a half to win the game outright in Houston. Detroit Lions head to the Bayou to play the Saints. Jared Goff has six turnovers in his last two games. They came back against the Bears. They lost to the Packers. They haven't played since last Thursday. They need to clean up their game. The Saints, meanwhile, gave up over 200 yards rushing last week to the Falcons. Derek Carr had over 300 yards passing but didn't throw a touchdown. Didn't, didn't throw a touchdown pass. Empty calorie yardage from him. The Saints used to be a great home team. They no longer are. I don't think the team believes in Derek Carr. I think Dennis Allen is firmly on the hot seat. Michael Thomas is not ready. Raheed Shahid might miss this weekend. This seems like a bounce back game for the Lions. Where you have some struggles. Your quarterback's turning the ball over. You're having your first good season in Lions history for something like 60 years. And you go to New Orleans, and they don't know if they want Carr to be their quarterback or Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. It's it's up in the air. This should be an an entertaining game. The The Saints should be better than they are, but they just aren't. They turn the ball over, they make stupid decisions, they'll drive down the field, and just something happens. 
Saints want a chance. Run the football with Alvin Kamara. Give Taysom Hill some design runs because, quite frankly, this Detroit defense is not perfect. They give up big plays. They did it to Green Bay all last week to Christian Watson down the field. So the secondary can be had. But to me, Detroit's too good. They'll bounce back. Detroit, minus four and a half. Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans, a battle of the AFC South. No Jonathan Taylor, broken thumb. He needs surgery, so he's out. Look at Zach Moss to be the new running back one for the next couple of weeks. Gardner Minshew still under center. Michael Pittman Jr. is taking a big step in the offense. He's playing much better football. Titans had their moment with Will Levis. Played great in a Thursday night. They should have won the game, but they didn't. They then kind of hit the ditch. They got blown out a few times, and they got a win against the Carolina Panthers last week. Colts are 6-5. and five. They control their own destiny, and they could be a playoff team with a backup quarterback, despite the fact that Anthony Richardson, who they took fourth in the draft, hasn't played since week four. Mike Vrabel doesn't give up on seasons. He'll have his team ready to play, in particular, in a division rivalry. But I think Gardner Mitchell is doing smart things. They're running the football. He, he takes off and runs for touchdowns. I like the Colts. Minus one and a half. I think this is a win they get. It's a division game, so it'll be close. And I don't trust the Colts at all. And I think any team at the top of the AFC would be happy to see them make the playoffs because they feel comfortable in beating them. But I do think they get past the Titans. This game, Chargers at the Patriots. This game is interesting for one reason only. There are rumors that Bill Belichick is going to leave the Patriots after the season and join the Chargers to be their next head coach. Funny thing with that is that Brandon Staley is currently coaching the, the Chargers. They, they do have a head coach. We all know Brandon Staley's fraud ass is going to be fired. They're 4-7. and seven. They need to win every game that they can, while the Patriots want to lose every game and get a good draft pick. Potentially number one if things go right with Carolina. Patriots stink. Mac Jones this week was not even getting first or second team reps. He was on the side. Bailey Zappi was getting quarterback one reps, and Malik Cunningham, the former Louisville quarterback, was the backup quarterback. So Mac Jones could be an inactive this weekend when they played the Chargers. Keenan Allen hasn't been practicing, but I expect him to be on the field. If the Chargers lose this game in New England, Brandon Staley will not be coaching the last four or five games of the year. I can't see it. Because this Patriots team is truly god-awful. They got nothing going for them. No talent. Their kicker stinks. It's all-encompassing bad. And yet, I don't trust the Chargers at all. Justin Herbert, I don't trust in a clutch situation. Brandon Staley can go. Here's my advice. Do not bet this game. 
Do not bet this game because I'm telling you, I would I'm itching to take the Patriots plus five and a half, but I can't do it. Because I know it's crazy. They haven't scored 10 points in their last three games. They're not averaging 10 points a game their last three. And yet I still look at the Chargers and go, they're going to screw this up. You go to New England, it's going to be cold. Maybe it's snowing this weekend. Crappy weather, an L.A. team coming in, you're freezing and something happens. Could. It's not going to. The Chargers are going to win. But the Patriots still despite the fact that their team sucks, scares me. And I bet on the Giants last week to beat the Patriots straight up, which they did. But this is a stay-away game. Don't watch this game. Don't bet on this game. Bet on the Brandon Staley firing prop on FanDuel, because that's a given. That's a lock of the century. But don't bet this game. There's too many variables. There's too many crazy things that could happen. And I don't trust it. Miami Dolphins at Washington football team. If you can recall, Washington fired their defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio. They fired their linebackers coach. So they made some moves. Dolphins are coming off that win against the Jets on Black Friday. Dolphins need to keep winning to keep pace with Jacksonville and Kansas City and other teams in their respective division and conference. Washington is a nine and a half point underdog, which scares me a bit. They were a big underdog against the Cowboys and they did not cover the number. They were blown up. The Dolphins defense is starting to play better. Starting to come on. The offense has regressed, oddly enough. Tua's throwing interceptions. They're turning the ball over. So while one side gets better, the other gets worse. They need to put it all together. I think this team can be a, a, a team that you don't want to play. They can be trouble. I like Sam Howell. I don't think a change at defensive coordinator is going to mean a whole lot. I do think this line is a bit much for what the Dolphins have shown on tape the last number of weeks. They didn't exactly play great football against the Jets. Just Tim Boyle, Tim Boyle, and you eventually cover the number. But I'd, I'd still take the Dolphins, but I do think the number is high. You could, this is my advice. This could be a teaser game where if you can, you can buy the points, if you can get that point total up to say 12, 11 and a half, I would take the Washington football team. At nine and a half, I wouldn't. But if you want to buy the points, get, some te- get a teaser, I'd take Washington to cover that number. Carolina Panthers at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. NFC South crap football game. Carolina fired Frank Reich. Fired quarterbacks coach Josh McCallum. Fired running backs coach Deuce Staley. So now their special team coach Chris Tabor is the interim guy. 
for the next couple weeks. They want to improve Bryce Young. They want to improve the offense, which actually they do. This time it's not an ally from an ownership group because they don't have their draft pick. So it does nothing for Carolina to lose these games. Win them. Screw the Bears. So I actually believe them for once when a team says this late in the season. Normally, always a lie. Baker Mayfield was injured last weekend in their loss against... Oh, my brain. It's funny how much you forget in one week. I remember lots about sports, but the, the Buccaneers game where Baker Mayfield was injured on the first drive and they were winning at one point. And I'm trying not to look it up, but remember who they were playing and who they lost to. I do know they lost. But I'm not going to remember, so I'm going to look it up. They lost to the Colts. Of course they did. 27-20. The Bucks are just kind of treading water. They're four and seven, but they're still <laughs> they're still in the mix for the NFC South. They could technically still win their division, which is something else. Here's the thing: I believe in the new coach bump. I believe in the new coach inspiring you. I don't believe it this week for the for Washington, other than they might cover that T's number. With David Tepper coming out, making the changes, the Buccaneers are a wounded team. They're an old team. What are they playing for? Do they still believe in the season? Do they want to play hard for Todd Bowles down the stretch? Oddly enough, I like the Panthers plus five and a half. I don't know if the Panthers win the game, but I think they keep it close. It's a divisional game. Panthers covered the number against the Saints earlier in the year in week two. They're going to be inspired to play better. Bucks aren't a great team. Two really bad teams on the field together. I like the Panthers to cover the number. To cover the number. Panthers plus five and a half. Cleveland Browns at the Los Angeles Rams. This is an interesting game. And this might be actually be a good game. Cleveland, injuries galore, as we've discussed. Nick Chubb, Sean Watson, all out for the season. Miles Garrett has his arm in a sling, but it sounds like he's going to play because he's a freak. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, my guy DTR, is in concussion protocol. Has not practiced this week, has not been officially ruled out yet. But nobody, other than Brock Purdy, has been on the concussion protocol to, be, to begin a week and played that same week. So it sounds like Joe Flacco is going to be the starting quarterback in Los Angeles on Sunday. The Rams, who are a flawed team, yet they've beaten Seattle twice and they're in the mix. Stafford healthy, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup. Kyron Williams, who's been awesome. I love the Browns' defense, but a battered Miles Garrett might not be the same guy. Also, Darius Smith is banged up. 
I like the Rams' offense. They throw the ball down the field. They can make splash plays. While the Browns can't score points because they don't have a quarterback, and I don't believe Joe Flacco is going to be the saving grace for them. Browns need to find a couple wins. If they can get two, three wins down the stretch, they are going to be a playoff team regardless of who's playing quarterback for them. The Rams still have a chance of being a playoff team in the NFC because they're 5-6. and six. They win this game. They're 6-6. Six and six. They will be a playoff team on Monday because of their head-to-head battles with Seattle. If the Browns had a better quarterback option, they would not be an underdog in this game. Because there will likely be more Cleveland fans in Los Angeles than there are Rams fans. Because that's LA for you. However, I don't think they'll be able to keep keep up the score with the Rams. And I think the Rams win the game. Rams minus three and a half. Game of the weekend. Rematch of the NFC Championship game. San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. And here's the crazy thing. Eagles are 10-1, best record in the NFL, Jalen Hurts leading MVP candidate, and they are underdogs in Philadelphia. Odds makers are telling you they're winning by the skin of their teeth. They're not that great of a team. Should have lost to Washington twice, should have lost to the Cowboys, should have lost to Buffalo, but they've won all the games. Well, San Francisco's coming in playing great football. Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. This means something more to San Francisco than it does to Philly, which is probably true. But again, this game is huge for the Eagles. You host the 49ers and you have to go to Dallas next Sunday. And if you lose this week and you lose next week, Dallas is first in their division. Dallas is first in the NFC East, and they control their destiny the rest of the way. Lane Johnson did not play last week. Sounds like he's going to be in. That's important because since Chase Young has come over, San Francisco has improved their sack total per game by a sack and a half. With Armstead and Hargrave and Bosa and Chase Young, they're a tough group to deal with. Brock Purdy's playing great. You get two really good quarterbacks. Christian McCaffrey's a stud. Here's the thing. I think San Francisco's really good, and I also think the Eagles are really good. But if I can get the best team in the NFL at home plus the points, I'm going to take it. This is going to be a close game. This is going to be a battle. But I'm taking the Eagles plus two and a half. Jalen Hurts, the most clutch guy in the big moments, he finds a way to win. And they just keep battling and battling. They find a way and find a way. I expect a great football game from start to finish. But all season, I've expected the Eagles to come out on top on on these respective games, and I think they will here. Eagles. Plus two and a half at home, if you can believe it. 
Then we have the nightcap. Chiefs at Packers. Patrick Mahomes' first game at Lambeau Field. Packers at 5-6 and six coming off their big Thanksgiving win. Aaron Jones, questionable to play. He's missed the last number of weeks. No big injuries for Kansas City. Packers are a six-point underdog. Talked about last week with that game against Vegas, where I thought it could have been a turnaround for Kansas City. You're down 14 after the first quarter, and you fight your way back, and you win a divisional game on the road. You now have to leave a dome and go outside to play in Green Bay. Now, they play outside. They're not going to be afraid of the cold whatsoever. Christian Watson, Jordan Love, they have a better connection. I want to see Jordan Love target Sneed, go after the corners for Kansas City and see what you can do. Run the football with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones if he's available. Run the football. I thought the Packers were going to win their division. Horrible start. Jordan Love not playing great football. Kansas City needs to win this game, and so does Green Bay. It's an important game. I think the Chiefs are going to win, but I think the Packers keep it close. I wish this line was seven. Because if it was seven, I would hammer the Packers. Because I truly do believe that they got a team that can compete. They got a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field. I'm just going to check it before we go here. It's still six points because Vegas knows what they're doing. <laughs> so at least could hope for a push. If it was seven, I'd be taking the Packers. It's six, so I'm going to take the Chiefs. Chiefs minus six, but I expect I expect this primetime game to be good. A test for Kansas City going on the road again and play a game Green Bay team that has found their groove a little bit. But Kansas City, I expect them to come out on top. Jags play on Monday night. So they're not they're not playing right now. They play Monday night against Cincinnati. So this week, I expect all top teams in the AFC, that's Miami, KC, Jacksonville, to win. And for after week 13, Baltimore, Kansas City, Jacksonville, and Miami to all be nine and three going into the home stretch of the season which is great theater. But there's some good, there's some awful games this weekend. Don't get me wrong. But there's some good games. There's, you got to look for them, but there are, there are a few. College football. Championship weekend gets going tonight. Oregon, Washington, the final Pac-12 title game. So many things can happen this weekend. 
with the way these games go and the results and the craziness. Here's what I can tell you. If Washington wins tonight's game, they're going to be in the college football playoff, and Michael Penix Jr. might just win the Heisman. That's a, that's a fact. If Oregon wins tonight, I don't think it's a lock they get into the college football playoff, but I'd say it's about 95%. So tonight, so if you win the game, you're likely going to the playoff. These two teams met earlier in the season. They met in Washington, and Washington won the game by three. Tonight, they meet in a neutral site in Las Vegas at the Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders play. And despite the fact that Washington won the first matchup, they are a nine-and-a-half-point underdog tonight. They squeaked out a win against Washington State. They squeaked out a win against Arizona State. They squeaked out a win against Oregon State. Well, Oregon has just decided to decimate teams. Bo Nix is averaging four touchdowns per game. And this offense is chugging along. Oregon, to me, I've said it all year. They're the third best team in the country behind Georgia and Michigan. I would love to see Michigan and Oregon play in the college football play because I think that's a heavyweight matchup between two really great schools. Penix can score. Odunze's a stud. I'm shocked it's nine and a half. That's a big number in a Pac-12 title game in a rematch. Oregon's going to win. That I can tell you definitively. But does Washington cover? I'm going to say no. I think Oregon wins by at least 10. But it's, it's weird to see that a team that wins the first matchups is near a 10-point dog in the rematch. Oregon is that good. Oregon minus 9.5. The MAC title game. Miami, Miami of Ohio at Toledo. MAC usually on Tuesday nights, Saturday afternoon here. Toledo, good school. Miami's been in it all year. I like Miami, plus 7.5. Big 12 title game. Oklahoma State at Texas. Texas would love a dominant win. You win the Pac-12, you get a dominant win, you only have one loss. You need to hope for things to happen. You need to hope Florida State loses. You need to hope kind of Georgia. It would be great for them if Alabama beat Georgia, quite frankly. If Oregon beats Washington, that helps them. So they need to win, and they need to hope things go nuts. Oklahoma State, they've had some moments this year. Under Mike Gundy, they beat Oklahoma. You go 9-3. and three. You've had a very good season. Here's the thing. Texas on offense is so dynamic. Oklahoma State has too many turnovers. they got a great running back in Gordon. The number's 14-and-a-half. I don't think Oklahoma State will cover. I think Texas is too good. Quinn Ewers will put on a show. Texas, minus 14-and-a-half. The Georgia Bulldogs, who have won 29 games in a row, play Alabama. 
Clash of the Titans. Alabama squeaks one out against Auburn somehow. And this is the chaos game. If Alabama can win, everything goes into a frenzy. If Alabama wins, the committee will have some sort of decision on their hands on what they want to do. It will be divisive. It will be crazy. Alabama has gotten better as the season has gone on. Georgia, I I would say the same thing. They were great from the beginning, but they have gotten better as well. Carson Beck has gotten better as a passer. Lad McConkey, Brock Bowers has come back from injury. Their defense has gotten better. And here's the test. Georgia's won 27 straight games against SEC opponents. Alabama, obviously, is an SEC opponent. Jalen Milrow can throw the ball down the field. He's becoming better as a passer, more accurate, more dynamic. He can obviously run. Georgia didn't have a great performance against Georgia Tech. This atmosphere is going to be crazy. The pressure on both teams, Alabama knows if they lose, they're done. Georgia knows if they win, they are likely to be the number one team in the country, again, going into the playoff. Looking for their third straight national championship. I just think Georgia's better. I don't see it being less than a touchdown score. I thought the number would be higher, quite frankly. I think the Georgia Tech, the way they won that game, it doesn't look all that impressive. I think Georgia's going to win this game by at least a touchdown, likely more than that, and they'll they'll be undefeated again and go into the playoff. I don't expect the craziness to occur in this game. We got the AAC, SMU facing Tulane. Tulane's quarterback, Michael Pratt, this could be his last game at Tulane. Sounds like he wants to transfer, go to a bigger program, which is happening a lot. We saw Riley Leonard enter the portal, leaving Duke. Max Johnson left Texas A&M. He's going to University of North Carolina. K.J. Jefferson leaving Arkansas. D.J. Ugalale leaving Oregon State, entering the portal for the second straight season. So Michael Pratt could enter the portal after this game. SMU is joining the Big 12 next se- or the ACC next season. They're pumping a pile of money into their program. They've actually had a better season than I expected. They can play offense, and I actually think they're going to win this game, going and upset Tulane, their final game in this conference, SMU plus three and a half. Louisville at Florida State. Now, this game is interesting because I think if Florida State wins, they'll be in the playoff. And it's the right thing, but also the wrong thing to do because they're not competitive. Jordan Travis, great quarterback, is injured. And he's, he's, he's great. He's a Heisman player, and he's not available. Rodemaker, their backup quarterback, struggled against Florida, but he rallied and they won. But here's here's the thing. I read a report this morning he might not play this weekend. It's believed he has a concussion, 
and they might have to go to their third-string quarterback against Louisville. Louisville's not a perfect team either. They lost to Kentucky last weekend. They don't play great offense. It's an important game. If Rotomaker doesn't play, I don't see how Florida State wins. I kind of hope Florida State loses because it'll make one of the playoff games really uninteresting. It won't be competitive. I'd rather see Texas get in. I'd rather see Ohio State get in. So you get two great games on paper. But I'm going to take Louisville plus two and a half. You can get them at two and a half right now. If it comes out that the quarterback is injured, that line is going to flip. So get on it now. Louisville plus two and a half. The final game of the day, Michigan at Iowa. Michigan's a 21 and a half point favorite. Here's the crazy thing. Iowa is projected to score 0.5 points in the first half and 0.5 points in the second half, which would total one point for the game if you uh, know how to do the math, which is impossible to do in college football because there's no rouge like there is in the CFL. They're horrible offensively, Iowa. Their defense is solid. I'm not betting this game because Iowa's not going to cover, I don't believe. Here's the thing. The over-under is 34.5. which is a big number for an Iowa game. I don't think they're going to score any points. The question is, can they keep Michigan to a low number? I think they can. If you're betting this game, Iowa, take the under on the 34.5. Michigan wins big because they're the second best team in the country and Iowa stinks. But Iowa will not sc- uh, Michigan will not score more than 34 and a half points. We shall see, but I'm banking on it. That's the college football weekend. Looking at it, if I had to guess the teams come Monday, and we're actually going to do a podcast Sunday night because I actually started a new job on Monday, so we're going to do a podcast Sunday nights now. I think it'll be Georgia number one, Michigan number two, Oregon number three, and I believe Florida State's going to lose and they're going to put Texas at four. Leapfrogging Ohio State because they won a conference title, because Georgia, Texas, Sells, Quinn Ewers, all that jazz. That's my prediction for Monday. Georgia, Michigan, Oregon, Texas. Oregon wins tonight. Texas wins tomorrow, and they get help with Florida State losing. And they say, well, Ohio State didn't even play championship weekend. Let's give it to Texas. That's my logic. Also this weekend... UFC Texas. We got an awesome fight night event in Texas. Not a pay-per-view. Could be, though. It's a great card. Feature bout is Benil Darius versus Armand Tuscarian. Two great grapplers. Tuscarian, who's been calling up 
you know, guys like Habib, who said he can wrestle with Habib, said he can beat Islam. He gets Benil. Benil's coming off a loss to Charles Oliveira. These two guys are, I think it's going to be an interesting fight because 25 minutes, they can go on the ground. Darius looked like he really had a tough time cutting weight in his last fight. And he seemed out of gas, just wasn't in it. So I'm curious to see how he bounces back. Armin's a big favorite at minus 290. These grappling exchanges are going to be great. I think Armin's a little better in every facet. Benil is very good as well, but he's getting a little bit older. I think Armin's kind of on the come up the next wave. And I think I do believe Armin Siskarian's going to win this fight. Co-main event. It was scheduled to be Bobby King Green against Dan Hooker, but Dan Hooker re-injured his arm that he broke in July against Jalen Turner. So oddly enough, Jalen Turner steps in short notice to fight Bobby Green, who's won three fights in a row in 2023. He's looking to close out the year in style. Jalen Turner's big. He's huge for the weight class. Curious to see if he can make weight this morning. He missed weight two of his last three fights at 155 pounds. So these guys are two really interesting fighters, two different styles. I'm going to give it to Jalen Turner's a minus 220 favorite. I like Bobby Green. To me, Bobby Green is as good as it gets. He's got that knockout power. I think he's going to find the chin of Jalen Turner and continue to bump up his win streak. So give me Bobby Green plus 220 as an underdog in this fight. I love betting an underdog, and I think he's going to get the win. Rob Font, Davison Figueredo. Figueredo moving up from flyweight to bantamweight. His first fight at, at, in his weight class. Rob Font, a veteran who's fought everybody. So he, he welcomes him to the division kind of as the gatekeeper role. Figueredo is a plus 114 underdog. He's a great striker. He, the thing is, he didn't. it wasn't hard for him to be taken down at flyweight. Brandon Moreno and his epic battles with him, they weren't, it wasn't that difficult for him to be taken down. So I, I do get worried about a little bit that with Figueredo. Rob Font, we saw him against Corey Sanhagen. He's not a great grappler. He's not a great wrestler. So I expect this to be on the feet. And Rob Font can be very good and he's slick with his combinations. But I'm going to take Figueredo. A lot of people are kind of not giving him a chance in this fight. I'm going to take Figgy plus 114 to get a win at Bantamweight and kind of start up on the right on the right track for himself. Underrated fight of the night. Sean Brady versus Kelvin Gaslam. Sean Brady has not fought since last October. Kelvin Gaslam has not fought in a minute either. His last fight was at middleweight. He's now moving down to welterweight, 170. These two guys both love to throw punches. Both love to stand in there and just 
Calvin Gaston was nearly impossible to knock out. His fights without Asanya thought he was going to be knocked out doesn't happen. He just has that incredible chin. Sean Brady did get TKO'd against Bilal Muhammad. That was kind of a different fight. He said he's a different guy. He's had taken time off. Got married. It's as close as it gets. You can get Sean Brady, minus 120. Calvin Gaslam, minus 106. I like Sean Brady a lot. I think he bounces back. He only has one pro loss. I think he gets by Calvin Gaslam tomorrow night. Panil Steriano versus Dustin Stolfus. Stolfus has all the tools to win. He's been on a bit of a slide. Soriano likely wins that fight. The veteran Clay Gita against Joaquin Silva. Silva's the biggest favorite on the card, minus 340. You got to love Uncle Clay Gita. Misha Tate makes her return against Julia Avia. I don't have a feel. Misha Tate hasn't fought for so hard. The one I do like, Veronica Hardy. Underdog against Jamie Lynn Horth, who is a Canadian. I like Veronica Hardy to get that win. So that's the weekend. College football, NHL, get some NFL interesting games. As I said, we're going to be doing a podcast Sunday nights now after the NFL to recap and talk about it because I'm starting a new role on Monday, which I'm excited about, University of New Brunswick. So I won't be around during the day as often. So there'll be different times for the podcast, but we'll still be pumping out content. I promise you that. Hope you all have a great weekend. Talk to you Sunday. This is to the point.